0: It's been about a year ago now. It made a deep impact on me. Back in the uh, 1950s, early 1960s, there's a a monastery in China uh, filled with Benedictine monks. And these guys were doing their Benedictine thing uh, in China right before the Communist Revolution. And suddenly, they found themselves in the midst of a communist government, and it was a, a, a mixed group of uh, English-speaking uh, and native Chinese uh, monks. Uh, and they, the, the communist government, once, once it had taken over, it, it came to the monastery and it, it said, all the English-speaking monks, all the folks who are native Westerners, you can leave. Uh, in fact, you have to leave, get out. Uh, the monks who were Chinese, though, they had to stay. They were Chinese nationals. And there was one, uh, his name was Zhao Bengzhu. Uh, they call him Brother Peter today. He lives in Valermo, California. And he, uh, uh, he was, for, for a time, tortured by the Chinese government. Uh, they wanted the, the, Benedict, the Benedict, Benedictine monks there to, to recant, to say, I don't believe. In Jesus anymore. I don't believe that he's real. I don't believe that he is the Lord of the universe. I, I recant everything I believed before. And if someone hurts you enough, uh, over a long enough period of time, you, you'll you'll no matter who you are no matter how tough you are, you, you'll tell them what they want to hear. And he did. Um, he said, "I don't believe in Jesus anymore." And they let him go. Uh, they said, "Okay, well, go do whatever." Go do whatever it is you're skilled to do, and he left. A week later, he showed back up at the prison, and he said, uh, I lied. Uh, I, can't, I can't stop. I tried. Uh, I tried to stop believing, but I can't. Jesus is the Lord of my life. You're, I guess you're going to have to kill me. And they said, no, we're not going to kill you. But what they did is kept him in prison for 25 years. Uh, all the way into the, the mid 1980s, uh, when uh, the uh, Ronald Reagan's government uh, negotiated his release, and he came over uh, to live uh, with his brothers in Valermo, which is where they reestablished the monastery that was previously in China. Uh, and during the time when he was um, being admitted uh, you know, into the United States, they asked him, "Well, what?" You know, the, your name is awfully complicated. What, what do you want your, your English name to be? What do you want visitors to this monastery to call you? And he said, um, I want to be called Brother Peter. And they asked him why. And he said, because I denied him also. Uh, which I think is a sweet story. Uh, it's, he's a, 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 a deeply deeply spiritual man. This, this uh, story about him made a, a deep impression on me, but the part that stood out to me the most, uh, they asked him uh, in this, this book, which contains an interview with him, they said, well, what, what was it like not being able to speak the gospel for 25 years? You know, you were, you were trained and felt called, obviously, right? You, otherwise, you wouldn't have ordered, entered this monastic order. Why on earth or what, what on earth was it like not to be able to speak the gospel? Uh, and he laughed. And he said, um, the people who hurt me thought that they were stopping the gospel. They thought that they were keeping me from speaking it. They were writing it on my body. Right? In every line, everything they did to him, it spoke the gospel into the world in a way far more profound than his mere words could. Let's turn to First Philippians, which is not a book. Let's turn to the, the Paul's letter to, to, to the Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to start from the top, and I want to talk to you tonight about a topic that we don't talk much about, uh, and that is suffering. Um, so, sorry, it's a dark winter night. You come to church, there's a guy up here, he tells this weird story, and then he says we're going to talk about suffering. But I promise... Uh, by the end, uh, you will, uh, if not in joy, you will have gotten something out of this. Chapter 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have in you my heart, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ." This is where we'll begin to unpack. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren by the Lord in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. And that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether it be by my life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We'll stop right there for just a moment. I wanna offer up a, um, a supposition to you, or a proposition to you tonight that may seem strange. Um, all of the circumstances of your life, whether they are good, whether they are bad, whether they result in suffering, whether they result in joy, are a means and a method to proclaim the gospel you say, what do you mean by that? I mean that the hour that you first believed, you became something more than you are. You became more than just a person. You became more... You, you became part of something larger. You became a channel for the gospel to flow into the world. And you can think of your life that way. And you will gain a peace and an understanding that passes, uh, that passes all understanding. Uh, let's dive in here real quick. I, I want to give you some context. First of all, you may say, okay, well, Paul's writing this. Where is he? Paul's in prison uh, in this, this passage. He's writing to the church in Philippi. Uh, and Paul was in prison a couple of different times in his life, uh, once in Ephesus, once in Rome. This was written from Rome. Uh, Paul was a, um, a zealous and maybe, maybe not always so smart guy. Uh, he, his, his normal missionary method is he would go into a town, right? He would go to the Jews, right? He'd go to the synagogue, because that's where you preach. And he would begin to preach, and they wouldn't much like what he said, right? And so they'd beat him up and kick him out. Uh, and then he'd say, okay, and he'd you know, wipe off his feet and uh, uh, pat his hands together, and he'd head next door to wherever the Gentiles were. And he preached to them. Uh, And usually he was more accepted there, but eventually he'd get in trouble. Um, So Paul always, he went to the synagogue, and then he went next door, and then he went to jail. Almost every place he went. Um, So we find him here in jail in Rome, and the fourth thing that he always did, right, synagogue, Gentiles, jail, and then when they came to get him, or when they, they tried to punish him, he would say, you can't punish me, I'm a Roman citizen, which he was. We don't know how he became a Roman citizen, we don't know anything about his personal life prior to, uh, prior to his appearance in Acts, but as a Roman citizen, he had certain rights and privileges, one of which was that he 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 could be tried by a roman court which means he had to travel a long long way um so they'd arrest him and take him away it also meant that he would get a trial uh, this is an aside but I, I think it's um it's good to know uh roman courts rarely cared about what what people worshiped um if you go look at uh if you go look at the book of Acts, there's a, a funny section uh, when he's in Corinth where he is, he faces trial, uh, and the governor of Achaia, the, the place where Corinth is, um, the Jews bring him and they accuse him and they say, he's, he's preaching that Jesus is, that our religion is wrong and that, that Jesus is actually king. And the, the judge shrugs his shoulders and says, I don't what you name things, or I, this doesn't matter to me, as long as he's not raising any insurrection, what do I care? Um, so the, the, this was a way that Paul would often escape from trouble. In any event, here, he's awaiting trial in Rome, uh, and y- you must not think of where he's at as like a dark, dank prison, like, you know, it's, it's not like Lucasville uh, or wherever. Uh, it's, it's probably, he's probably under house arrest, he has some freedom, but he's under constant guard. And the Philippians are in much distress over this. They're afraid, right? The founder of their church is in jail. Um, they themselves are going to experience persecution in the near future. To live in the Roman world, um, and the Romans didn't, care, didn't much care. They believed in many gods. But to call Jesus king, right? As, as Paul does later in this letter, he calls him Lord and King. Uh, to the Romans, there's only one king. And his name is Caesar and he lives in Rome. And if you say he's not king, something bad will happen to you. So that's the charge that that, uh, Paul is awaiting trial on, is treason. So Paul's writing this, right? And he's saying, yes, I'm in trouble. Yes, bad things are happening to me. But I want you to notice something here. His understanding of suffering is that it is always a way to advance the spread of the gospel. So, I've got five points because I read the book about how to prepare a sermon and I, I did that. Um, usually there's just three, right? But I've got five. I've got, I've got two, two, two more. Um, notice how Paul thinks about the circumstances of his lives, right? He speaks of the Spirit and he says in verse 112. Right, he says, but I, sh- I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, he, and he goes on, he speaks of himself, uh, right, as being moved. How many of you have been in the army or any military branch? Did you always understand why you were doing the things you were doing, Right? Sometimes you were told to do a thing and you went and you did it. Uh, and you did it, right? The, the circumstances of your deployment or the circumstances of your order, of your orders were not yours to understand. Somewhere behind it, right, was command or some larger force, right? Someone with the whole picture, uh, hopefully, right? Probably it didn't seem that way at times. Um, but it's somebody... Right, that there was somebody with the whole situation and they were moving you into a place where you could do the most good. Uh, I would like to suggest to you uh, that no matter what your circumstances, I, I don't know what you're going through. I, from the youngest person here to the oldest, everybody's going through something. I can guarantee that. Right? There's something that is gnawing at you. There is something that is bothering you. There is something. Private pain that you are going through right now. I would suggest to you that if you squint a little bit and look at that problem, there's a pattern. There is order to the universe and to your life, there is command behind it. The Holy Spirit is moving you into position to accomplish something. So, if the Holy Spirit's the driver, how does it order our lives? Why are we being moved? Well, I mean, Paul gives us the answer, right? He says, in everything, in verse 12, everything has fallen out, rather, under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Skip up to verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but, but that with all, all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be
1: magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. We think often of suffering and problems and,
0: uh, you know, not just the, the, the tiny minutia of our lives that goes wrong. I got up in the morning. Uh, the other day, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I thought, what, what in the world has happened to you, um, right? I, and that, that must happen to all of us occasionally, right? As you, as you draw on uh, towards your 40s and 50s, things start to sag and, and puff out and look weird, and um, the teenagers are laughing. They'll get it. They'll get theirs. I'll be old, but you'll get yours one day. Um. All those little things, whether it's big suffering or little suffering, whatever it is, right? We tend to think of suffering as an obstacle to be overcome. Think of our cultural stories, right? Adversity is something that you overcome to get to another goal. Adversity is something that you defeat, right? It's an obstacle. It's, it's an enemy. And you get past it, and then there's a result or a reward at the end. That's not how eternity works. Our cultural story is wrong. Think of Jesus. His suffering in many ways was the point, right? Uh, He didn't come. He came to die and then live again, right? He came to suffer for all of us. I think of of the, the words of that Chinese monk, brother Peter, saying, they wrote it on my body, right? They wrote the whole gospel. And what you do, and what you suffer, in the circumstances of your life, you are being moved into position in a way that will result in the proclamation of the gospel to people, or, or not,
1: depending on how you accept it and process it. Point three, you can by your attitude and your actions
0: control whether you're a good conduit for the gospel or a bad one anybody know what, what the technical name for the kind of tool that a lever is is it's a force multiplier right uh, the longer it is the better a lever it is the more it can sh- the more weight it can shift uh, i Saw a story once uh, on the news about a guy who would take bets and he would go golfing uh, with garden tools, right? And he would, he would bet people that he could, hey, you use golf clubs and I'll use a garden tool and I'll beat you, I'll use a shovel and I'll beat you. And I asked him, well, is, do you like to golf that way? And he's like, heavens no. Uh, it's, it's not the right tool for the job, right? A, a, a golf club used correctly multiplies your skill. Right? It's the right tool for the right job. You can, be a, you can be a very bad tool for proclamation of the gospel. What do I mean? Um, I don't have an example of a bad one. I, I think we're all examples at, at different times of bad ones. I don't, but a very good example of a, a good one to me uh, is uh, kind of a personal hero of mine. I don't, see her, I don't see, her, see her here tonight, which will make it easier to talk about her. Um, Carol Browning who I love a whole bunch. Um, I seek her out and try to talk to her because she's so sweet. She has probably suffered more in her life than any four people uh, that I know of. Um, I have never heard her say a bad word about anybody, ever. I've never, I've never once heard her complain. When you talk to her, you can tell that Jesus lives inside her, right? You can tell that she loves Jesus when you talk to her. It, she exudes a quiet confidence that Jesus is real. He's sitting on his throne and all is in order. Uh, So I seek her out every time I can because I I want a little bit of that. Um, And sometimes I'm lacking it. Um, She, by her attitude, by the way that she has accepted the circumstances of her life and, and kind of moved beyond them, has become one of the best tools for the advancement of the gospel that I can ever think of. Her, her quiet love for Jesus is more effective than a thousand sermons. You can choose what kind of tool you are. You can choose whether you are a good conduit for the gospel or a bad one. The Greeks had a saying uh, when they were training boys to be, uh, to be military men. Right? And if, if there was a kid who was particularly bad, right? like he, uh, he'd get picked last for dodgeball. Um, they didn't have dodgeball, I'm just kidding. But let's say, he, let, let, let's say this kid would. Uh, and it was clear he was never going to be a great warrior. They would say, you can't turn tin into iron, no matter how you beat it. But that's not true for us. Right? You, you can be a great conduit. For, even if your nat- natural predilection is to be sour, you can become a conduit for the gospel that is effective and powerful. Why? You, you can know that the Holy Spirit is driving your circumstances and that the purpose of those circumstances is to show the world Jesus. It's cliche to say that you are the only Jesus that some people may ever see. And since it's a cliche, I won't say it, even though I just did. But I'll change it. The gospel you proclaim with your life is the only gospel that many people will ever see. Right? Think of all the people that you meet in the day. Think of how you interact with them, how you talk to them, how you deal with them. What are they seeing? Are they seeing somebody who goes... Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's the sound I make when I'm angry. Um, Are they seeing people who are sour, who don't have anything of the joy of Christ in them? I, I would suggest to you that perhaps you should think about your circumstances a little differently. See them as part of a larger picture and understand
1: that like Carol Browning, right? You can become... A door through which the gospel streams out into the world. Right, you you can become a
0: beacon that people see and say, I "Wonder what he's got.
1: What makes her that way?" It it's not hard. Fourth point, um, Paul talks a little bit. Oh, hang on, I've got I wrote something down. The world says to live in the moment, right?
0: And, and that's, that's partly right, I would suggest to you. You should live in the moment in the sense that what you're doing right now is not a thing that you have to get past. I, I um, have been assigned at work to, uh, to the, um, the Indiana factory of Honda. So every, every Sunday night, in fact, after I get done preaching tonight, I'm going to go. Drive to Greensburg, Indiana, uh, where there's a Walmart and an Applebee's and not much else. And uh, I'm going uh, to go sleep in my apartment, and I'm going to get up, and I'm going to go to work. And next, next Friday, I'll drive back. Um, I worry about my family. I worry about what it's doing to me. I worry about my career. Right? I worry about a whole bunch of things all the time. And it's easier to worry when you're alone. Uh, and I get up tight. And I miss the opportunity right, to make that circumstance an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Right? Uh, there are so many people I'm coming into contact with that I never would have otherwise.
1: And they could see in me the Jesus that they won't know otherwise.
0: Right? That's an area in my own life where I need to, to um, I'm preaching mostly for myself, so. Uh, but all of us, right, whether you have a health condition or a personal problem or a whatever, think of it as a way to show Jesus to other people. And I guarantee your attitude will change. It must necessarily change. So what, what's the effect of doing that? Well, number one, Paul tells us um, in verse,
1: oh, I missed it, 14, and
0: many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear, right? And he goes on to tell us that there are some problems with that, right? There's some of the brethren who are preaching uh, out of fear because personally they wanna be seen. And then there are some that are, are preaching out of love. And Paul's like, I don't really care as long as they're preaching, as long as they're proclaiming the gospel. But notice the, the impact, right? In his life, in the way that he is engaging his suffering, in the way that he is engaging his circumstances, right? Christ is showing up in the hearts of his brothers and sisters and is making them bolder to proclaim the
1: gospel than ever they were before. And finally, it reaches the world. He tells us in verse thirteen, "So that my bonds in
0: Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places." The words he uses there uh, it could be translated "palace guard." Uh, These are Caesar's own troops who are set to guard him in this villa or house where he's imprisoned. These are hardened, hardened men, right? Indebted to, indentured to, totally sold out to the imperial cult. They believe that Caesar is a god, uh, and they worship him, and they protect him, and they kill his enemies. And Paul, in the midst of his arrest, with these hardened, hard, like the, the most hardened, battle-hardened, tough guys that you can imagine, they see and they know that his suffering proclaims the word of Jesus Christ. I used to work at Kroger when I was a kid. I guess I was, I, I, what you call, eh, people who were 16, 17-year-old, they're kids. Um, and for a while, uh, in, in my early college years, I worked the night shift for like three weeks. It was the most miserable three weeks I've ever experienced. Went in at like eight in the morning, got off at five. No, eight at night and five, got off at five in the morning. Uh, and there were two of us um, who were there to, to, to do that, right? Because you don't, you don't, you don't want to just have one dude working the night shift. Um, the woman I, I worked with, um, I'll never forget her. Uh, for bad reasons. I'll never forget her. She um, was an older lady. I'm trying to think of how to do this in a politically correct way. She's an older lady. Uh, she smelled like someone had dumped a, a, an open ashtray uh, on her face uh, and was uh, probably the most unpleasant person that I have ever met in my entire, nothing was ever right. Nothing. Uh, they messed up her paycheck every week. She, her, her kids were jerks. She didn't like her husband. Just on and on and on. And I'm, I'm, I'm next to her all night, right? Uh, and Kroger's a pretty busy place at night, actually. You'd be surprised, especially around one when they stopped selling liquor, Um, like a whole bunch of people line up they all run in um guess whose line people came through right because what they didn't they maybe didn't want what I had but they sure as heck didn't want what she had right I I don't know what this I don't know what this lady's on but I don't want to deal with her they said When you react to your circumstances in a way that is... When you're a Carol Browning, right? I, I hate to keep invoking your name, but it's true. People will want what you have. People in the world watch you, especially when they know you are a Christian, right? And, and it could be subtle, the way that you announce to them that you are a Christian. It could be as, as simple as, hey, I pray before a meal, or I talk about my church. They know, and they watch, and they observe And they see, and they're waiting to see what's inside you. And if what's inside you doesn't give you joy, if it doesn't make you any happier than they are,
1: why on earth would they want it? If it doesn't allow you to endure, what's the point? Let me leave you with this. I finished way early. Maybe. Is that bad?
0: Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Let me leave you with this, right? You have a chance every day, in everybody, or in the form of everyone that you interact with, to write the gospel across your life. You don't need to have a degree in theology, you don't need to be bold in Right? You, don't have to, you don't have to ask everybody you meet. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal savior? Right? You don't have to start every conversation with that. You don't need to be a, uh, you know, a bold witnesser uh, in that way if that's not you. But what you do need to do is in the circumstances of your life, whether they're good or bad or, or indifferent, and in your interactions with people, you have to understand your behavior as writing a gospel into the world that people will see and understand and know. Uh, and if it's, if it's a gospel that is unattractive, if it's a gospel that they couldn't possibly want what you have, you will find yourself, I think, leading a life and having a Christianity that is very shallow indeed. You can, you can be a good tool the proclamation of the gospel, or you can be a bad one. I, I used to uh, uh, I was in wood shop for a long time. I know they, they I don't know if they do wood shop anymore. They probably do computer labs or something weird now, right? But um, back when I was in in high school, um, we had wood shop, and I had to I was creating something—a clock, or I don't know what it is—but uh, I had to saw a piece of wood, right? And I'm like, well, how am I supposed to do this? And we had a table saw, but um, Mr. Nicely wouldn't unlock it for until like midterm, right? So I had this, this he gave me this handsaw. I'm like, you know, for, for like an hour, it seemed like and my, my noodle arms are all hanging down and um, it hurt, right? I was, using, I was using a tool that was resisting the job always. Uh, and then... Uh, about eight weeks into the semester or so, he, he unlocked it. He showed us how to use the table saw. The table saw don't resist, right? As you throw you, right? It went right through. It was very easy. Uh, if the if the, the, uh, the handsaw could talk, it would probably be saying, please stop, right? <laughs> right? No, don't do that anymore. The table saw doesn't care, you should be a table saw, right? <laughs> Make yourself into the kind of tool that Jesus can use to, pro- or that, that can, that can proclaim Jesus's gospel to a lost and dying world.